Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Kyle Miller Show. I'm your host. I'm here. I'm here to, sh- to share with you insights of people's stories, extraordinary people that are doing great things in the community, with their lives, in their businesses, and that's why I'm here. I'm here to share those stories with you today. Um, I'm excited with the guest that we have today. His name's Paul McCarter. Thank you for joining us, Paul. Oh, thank you. You're, you're a husband, a father, a veteran business owner, realtor, and Buccaneers fan. Uh, Buccaneers fan. You got to love it. <laughs> Been a couple good years. <laughs> I, you know, I, thanks for coming on. Um, I'm excited. Like, I'm always intrigued because of your veteran, right, of, of being a veteran. You're in the Air Force. My father was in the Air Force. I was in the National Guard. Um, so I, I'm, I, I always look forward to hearing stories like this and hearing about your career. And then the transition from your career to where you're at today and the steps that you took. So obviously, uh, you were part of the military, you fought for our country, you put in your time, you supported everybody here. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that and then the kind of the transition into where you're at today, man. All right. So like you said, I was in the Air Force. Uh, That's actually how I got to Charlottesville. Charlottesville was my my last duty assignment. Um, When we came here, the plan was to be in Charlottesville for three years mm-hmm. and then move on to whatever the next assignment was going to be after that. Uh, had never even heard of Charlottesville before coming. In fact, I thought I was coming to Charlotte. Um, <laughs> and then once I found out that it was Charlottesville, we started asking around and everybody raved about this place that we were coming to. Right. Um, funny, funny story. Um, when we knew I was getting my assignment, I asked my wife, Jen, like, okay, what's like, what's the one, where do you want to go? What's your one thing you want? And she said, uh, the only thing I care about is I want to go to a bigger base than we're at now, which we were at a small base in Massachusetts. The Air Force, she gave, she gave the Air Force one way to disappoint her. We came where there's no base whatsoever. <laughs> um, so we came here to Charlottesville. Uh, this was in 2013. Mm-hmm. So they were starting to do a lot of the drawdowns and stuff. So six months after I was here, they offered early retirement. Um, I had, I enjoyed my time in the military, but I was also ready right. to move on. Yeah. So I took advantage of that early retirement. So surprisingly, after being here six months, I was on my way out. Mm-hmm. Um, had to figure out what on earth I was going to do next, especially since it was about three and a half years earlier than what I was thinking right. I was going to get out. Right. So it didn't take very long for us to realize we wanted to settle here in Charlottesville. We, we loved it instantly when we got here. The, I had always done real estate as a, like a hobby. Mm-hmm. Investment properties, had flipped a couple houses, um, just some, some speculation stuff. So I always enjoyed that, and I always enjoyed helping people that were thinking about it, like just friends of mine. Um, helping them either kind of decide if they wanted to buy or get rental properties or that kind of stuff. So it naturally seemed like, right. okay, I'm going to do something with real estate. Uh-huh. And while I was trying to figure out what it was, I said, well, I'll, I'll be a realtor until I figure out something else. Now, you, yeah. went, you went to the, uh, to the Air Force straight out of high school? So um, I went into the Air Force two, about two years after high school. I didn't okay. do college. Okay. I got out. Tried to, you know, did construction for a little while right. and realized I needed to do something. Yep. And then joined the Air Force. Did all my college while I was in. Mm-hmm. So I, I was able to get an associate's, bachelor's, and master's all while I was in. Okay. Um, started off enlisted. About four years in, I 
I switched and got commissioned. So I ended up retiring as a major. Nice. Yeah. So, nice. so I say joining the Air Force was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. Retiring from the Air Force was the second best thing that I ever did, <laughs> you know, from a career-wise. <laughs> no, I, 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 uh, I totally get it. Um, so when you were doing the drawdown and you were getting ready to come out, I mean, what, yep. were, what were some of the thoughts, some of the things that were going through your head at that point? So probably for – now, everybody has a different story. For me, by the time they offered the early retirement, that mm-hmm. was the third round of cuts – and I had survived the first two. Right. And it was just getting, it's kind of in a way, getting a little annoying. Right. Um, the other ones were a little bit earlier in my career, so I would have been just basically cut or just given like a small severance. So the early retirement, I had gotten to the point where I was staying in the military basically to retire. Mm-hmm. Uh, once, you, once you cross that magical 10-year point, every year after that it gets harder and harder to like, walk away from a retirement when you're right five years away, four years away. So in a way it was a win-win mm-hmm. because they offered what I was waiting for. So I was, I was, I was happy to get out. Gotcha. Um, but it was still, even with that, it was still, it's still quite a transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a, if you want to kind of look at the spectrum of the military with, I mean, the people who are, knocking down doors and clearing buildings, combat kind of arms all the way to the stretch of the other side. That's more, that's as close to civilian life as you can get. I was probably on that closer to civilian life. You know, I, I did program management. So I worked with a lot of like defense contractors, um, you know, new systems development, stuff like that. Gotcha. So you would think that would be an easy transition and and maybe in some ways it was easier, Mm -hmm. but even then it was still, kind of um, a, a lot of small things that you don't think about. Like um, another one that my wife gave me a hard time about, uh, I had been out of the military for probably like two years. And I, I mentioned something medical. I, I forget what it was. And she's like, well, when you go to your next annual appointment, you, you know, your doctor's point, you should talk about that. And I was like, huh, how's that happen? Right. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, nobody's ever like called me to set up an annual appointment. And she said, that's not how, that's not how it works. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like the same thing happened with flu. I went like, the first three years, I didn't get a flu shot. Right. Because I'm used, I was used to getting like an email that basically says, come, Go, here. come down to the lobby and get your flu shot. Yeah. And they line you all up and boom, 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 they give you all a flu shot. Right. So there was a lot of kind of really small things like that, that you, that you don't think about. Yeah. Until you get out and you're in the, you know, quote unquote real world. And right. you realize these are things that people have, you know, they have to do themselves. These are things that people learned when they were like, you know, 20, you know, 20 years old. Yeah. The, uh, the, I, I look at it, right. And, you know, you look at, and, and the military, it's just a, it's just a huge corporate structure. That's pretty much it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but their, 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 their product is killing people. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> killing people and breaking things. Yeah. That's what uh, yeah. a lot of people say. And so you look at that, but then you're, you're married to it, right? And you have your contract with them, and you're within the rules. You're not within the normal rules. You're within you know, military code. Um, and then you have – and they basically tell you, hey, go eat. Go do this. Yep. this is a, here's your schedule. Boom, it's all laid out. And for somebody who's you know, used to that, I'm sure getting out of that – and you're a major, so probably a little bit 
little easier transition. There's a lot of different things. But if somebody who's, you know, and more on the enlisted side, maybe that's only been there six, seven years, yep. and, and then getting out of that and not having that retirement, I'm sure that could be really scary the, for them. Well, the retirement definitely... I mean, the retirement, the health care that comes with retirement, all that was obviously made the transition way easier. Right. Um, the, 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 I, I think I mentioned earlier before the show started, you know, I've, I talked to some other like veteran owned businesses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of those guys are, you know, just a few years in, then they've gotten out. Um, well, well, Jerry, one of the guys that's on um, the shows here a lot, David Tricci. Mm-hmm. That's with yeah, that owns Skuma. Like he's he's a veteran. Yeah, and I I may have it wrong. I think he served four years, six years, something like that. I right. might have that wrong a little bit. Um. So yeah. So you do see this whole kind of range from people who have been like career mm-hmm. that aren't going anywhere close to home. Then you've got people who, um, you know, served two, three, four years, and then they head right back home where they're from. Right. Right. So it's a, it's an interesting. There's a spread. Yeah. So you get out of the military. You start, you start, you're interested in the real estate. You're helping yep. people with that. And then you start, you, you get, you become a realtor. Is that the next step? Yeah. So that you did? before I even got fully out, I did, um, I, I went through, got my real estate license, went through the whole, you know, go so you're through planning the class, for this. All, yeah. all that. Well, they, six months in, I put in for the early retirement from the time that I, showed up to Charlottesville to the time I was out of the military was about a year. So I had about six months to where I knew I was going to be getting out Mm -hmm. and was able to do that transition. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I went, got my real estate license. I was still actually in the military when I started practicing real estate. Uh, I was in that transition. So I, could have a few days off every week. So I would basically go in and do my military stuff, you know, Monday, Tuesday and my military, by military stuff, it was really just getting ready for retirement. Yeah. Um, cause it takes, it takes a while to go through all the stuff that you have to do to retire. And then I would do real estate, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. And then I'd, I'd start it over again. Back at it. Yeah. And, and it was funny when we talk about like the, the obstacles of transitioning that people don't think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I signed on with the first brokerage I was in, I was going through training. The first thing they said is you need to tell everybody, you know, in town that you're doing real estate. Yeah. And I was like, fantastic. That was four people. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's all I do. I mean, because especially I worked for the defense intelligence agency, which is here in Charlottesville. Everybody knows NJEC. Yeah. DIA is on the same campus. Well, you're working classified programs and stuff like that. You don't, you don't know everybody in the building because mm-hmm. you really only work and talk to the five, six people that are like working right. your Group. particular stuff that you can talk about. Yeah. So even though the building had, you know, however many thousands of people in it, I knew six. In, in fact, when I first started real estate, if you asked me to name everything where I knew it was in Charlottesville, I knew where my house was. I knew where the DIA was. I knew where Lowe's and Chick-fil-A was. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I had never, I didn't know Crozet. <laughs> I couldn't have told you where Crozet was. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of knew Green County because there were people that I worked with that turned right, right out of, <laughs> you know, then, then left. But it was, it was really funny. It, 
it, it was a struggle because a lot of people, I think, get into, get into real estate because they're, they're familiar with the area. They grew up here. They knew. And then they got to learn real estate. Right. And I felt like I knew real estate, but I needed to learn right. Charlottesville. Right. Yeah. So that was an extra little. The, and so I, I was a realtor a while ago. Right. Yep. And um, realtor, I know my, one of my friends is going to get really upset with oh, me. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. yeah. So okay. she's like, don't, realtor. Don't pronounce I'm that like, I. All right. Yeah, that all right. Exist. So, um, but I, I have, been, I got rid of my license a couple years ago, uh, but I've been in real estate since 09 here in Charlottesville and I've bought, sold, sold houses to people, um, that, that whole thing. I've done, I've done it all. Um, and, and being a realtor was not really my thing. Um, for me, it was, well, one, you're on all the time and Coming in through 2009, 2010 is whenever I was doing it. And I was, I was young. I was 20, 23, 24, yeah. something like that. And um, getting people to, to like work with me at that point. Um, I wasn't, I guess, as skilled as others. I mean, I did still do some transactions. But I would see these deals. And I would be like, man, you got to buy this deal. This thing is like, it's a great deal. You got $60,000 worth of equity built in right now. And all you got to do is, you know, paint the walls, Mm -hmm. you know, do a little this, do a little that, and you're good to go. And, um, and I just got tired of doing it. And so I started, I said, screw this. I'm buying my own things. And so that's, that's when I turned into investor and started buying my own houses. And you know, it's interesting that you say that because I kind of have almost in a way did the reverse. Uh So I, have some investment property stuff, still have some down in Georgia um, where I lived a, a few assignments ago. I have people ask me all the time why I don't have investment properties here in Charlottesville. Uh-huh. And I tell them I have some investors that I work with that are always asking me to find them things. And I always feel like if it's a, if it's a, good, if it's a good investment, I have realtors who are, or I have investors who are counting on me to bring them deals. It would be really kind of unethical in my own head for me to do the deal. Right. So if I see something that's a good, what I think is a good investment, I pass it amongst the, the few investors I work with and then none of them take it. Well, then I wouldn't feel so bad, but then I'm wondering what I'm missing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause like, why, why do I think this is a good deal? And like these other four people passed it. Right. But that's one, like I said, I get a lot of people that ask like, you know, Hey, you see all this. Why don't you have, rental properties here. Why don't you have investments? Why aren't, why aren't you doing flips? And I feel like I have clients that hire me to find them those. Right. So, it, so it's interesting that you did that same, cause I can completely see how you do that off ramp. Right. I, I just, you know? I got tired of the 9 a.m. 9 p.m. phone calls. Yeah. I traded 9 p.m. phone calls from clients to contractors. So yeah. it, it is what it is. But, um, but I always felt like I was trying to, um, um, help somebody get something and, and it, it just, to me, it just didn't mesh. I, I liked yeah. the biggest thing for me is also home inspections. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, with home inspections that I see, I see some of the craziest things in home inspections, and people asking for ungodly things. Oh yeah, and and I know that houses. Look, if anybody's ever listening right now, learn this one thing: anything can be fixed with money. Oh, yeah. Oh, and especially other people's money. Yeah. There, there's not a problem out there that cannot be yeah. fixed. And when I see people walk away from things or get so uptight and there's like this emotional charge to it, 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 it 
it baffles me. And, and you know what's funny about that? Um, I was having this conversation. We have, we have some new agents in our office, and I was having this conversation with them. I have seen more million-dollar deals fall apart over $1,500 of like a $1,500 repair mm-hmm. because, because it's, there's egos involved. Yeah. The, seller's, the seller's refusing to do it. The buyer's refusing to buy it. And you have this deal that you would think that that would not even register in the equation. Right. And then you see houses that, you know, are a $300,000 house. And people, both buyer and seller, are doing everything they can to make, yeah. to make it work. Yeah. So it, it, that's a dynamic that I've always seen that I thought was really interesting. But it, it is, you can see both buyers and sellers. And this is one thing I really like about real estate. You can see people totally approach problems from different angles. Yeah. And sometimes you don't even know why, the, why they're going the direction they are. Right. And you have to, you have to work and try to, try to bring them around because um, as, as a realtor, your, your job is to obviously get your client what they want. Mm-hmm. But sometimes your job is like protect your buyer or seller from making a bad decision. Right. Like you're almost protecting them from themselves sometimes. Yeah. Um, to where, you know, they're ready to throw this deal away because, you know, they'll just sell it to the next person. And you have to explain, you know, that's, there's some ramifications. You go back on the market. Now you have a red flag, all that, or vice versa. You're able to, you know, you got a buyer ready to walk away. And it's like, you know, there's, there's not a lot of houses out here. We, it's probably better for us to make this one work. Right. You know, and that's, that's the conundrum that I, that I have it whenever I'm dealing, cause I deal with it a lot. Um, I've sold over 400 houses of me owning the house mm-hmm. and dealing with the buyer on that side. And I, I typically just try to just take care of everything cause I don't want to have anything come back to me. Well, and, and that's another, I've, I've actually helped a buyers buy one of yours before. Yes. Yeah. The first time we interacted, there's such a wide spectrum of flippers for like, yeah, we'll, right. we'll use that word cause that's what everybody understands to where you've got people who flip houses that do a fantastic job. Yeah. They, they're completely above board. They do a good job. They fix problems. You know, and then you have some, and you get to, you get to know them. Right. You, you have some that you walk in and it's a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that they absolutely knew what they were doing when they patched that hole and covered that. Right. Uh, or, you know, and that's one of the things that, um, every, when I look at a thing and I see that it's an investor selling the house or something like that, it's always like, okay, what, what are we walking into? Right. Is it somebody who's trying to hide and we're, we're trying to find the stuff that they're hiding? Right. Or is it one that we can have some confidence that yeah. either they fix the problems or if we find something, they're going to fix the problem. And that's, that's the thing. Some, of these, some people think that like when we do these flips and, and we flip these houses – that, I mean, we got contractors in there, in and out, and we're trying to man, you know, manage everything. Did this, did this get done? Did this get done? We have our, our processes and checks and stuff, but still things miss, you know? Yep. And then here's the other thing. 90% of the time I throw a home inspector in and look at my houses before I throw it on the market so I know what, what are the items that are coming, and I fix those things because I know if, those, if these little things that we missed, right, um, and it could be, hey, they the electrician, when he put the thing in it, it, it popped off the back. Yeah. Great. 
we easy fix. But it's those little things that get in the back of the mind of those of the buyers that well these guys are cutting corners. And, you know, I tell all my contractors, listen, I don't know electrical. I'm not an electrician. Yeah. I'm not a plumber. I said, listen, my goal is to make this home safe and functional, right? Does it have to be DIY all the time? No. You know, not DIY, but um, um, like Pinterest model. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that way all the time. Does it have to be, you know, a million-dollar house? No, because this, this market doesn't handle the million-dollar house. Yeah. Let's make sure when we put this thing on the market that the buyer is going to have a safe house where they can live. Well, and, and a, a friend of mine, they, they do flips and stuff like that. And their goal, which I really appreciate, their goal is to, to try to have an affordable house. Yeah. Right? I mean, you do see these people who are, you know, flipping a property in Belmont and they're trying to make that, you know, this three bedroom, one bath house. And they're now they want to be able to sell it for, you know, $600,000 because it's just got all the bells and whistles and gold plated this and that. Right. Um, a lot of people don't understand when we talk about affordable housing, we talk about all that, like the, the investors and the flippers who are taking that rundown house and just kind of bringing it up to nice standards, right. but not crazy over the top. Right. Are, are a very, very important component to like delivering affordable housing onto the market. Yeah. And everybody thinks everybody's getting rich. I, I don't know a single investor who's ever gotten rich off of one deal. No. Right. It's just, they, they're just not and that. They're yeah. making $30,000 on this house. They spent six months on it. Yeah. Well, and, and it's also, it's, it's the HGTV yeah. thing, right? People, people are like, I, I get it when people call me and they're like, hey, I want to buy a house. I'm like, okay, well, well what are you looking for? I want, to, I want to be able to buy something for about 100000 and then be able to flip it and sell it for like five. That doesn't, like, that <laughs> doesn't, those ex- calls? That doesn't exist. Oh, yeah. I, now, I will say I haven't gotten very many lately. Right. <laughs> um, but, it, but it's because they see on HGTV somebody flip a three-bedroom, two-bath, and they make $60,000. And it's like, yeah, but that was in California or Toronto. Right. Like they didn't, you see a rundown three bedroom, two bath, and you know, it's $250,000 because it needs a bunch of work. When you have that fit, it's not a $500,000 house. It's yeah. still a three bedroom, two bath yeah. kind of thing. Like, I, think, on where it's at. I think the biggest profit I made on a, on a single house flip was like $150,000, but here it was in, it's in Charlottesville. Um, it was a two-year process. We had to take down a house. We had to deal with asbestos. We had to do. We had, and then we had to rebuild a new one. It was two years. We yeah. made 150 grand, but it was a long. It was every day. Yeah. Uh, something's something's going on. Well, we got a schedule. We got to do this. And the, and I had a partner. Yeah. Well, and one of the things, and you see this with business in general, not just not yeah. just flipping houses. People don't value risk, yeah. right? Yeah, People yeah. don't value. The homeowner or the, the flipper, the, the business person, the entrepreneur, people don't value risk when they do stuff. They, they think everything's money. They see somebody successfully running a store or a restaurant or some other business, and they don't realize that if that business fails, they lose their house, mm-hmm. right? Because they've mortgaged their house to be able to do this business. Yeah. Or, like, or, I mean, or they're poor. Like, right. they, you know, I, 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 just talking to a friend today that had kind of gone down a 
a new business enterprise and it, it, it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. Not, not because they were bad. Not, it, it just, most, most small businesses fail. Right. And they, they probably lost, you know, you know $60,000 over the course of last year. And right. people ignore that because they see the success and they're like, oh, like they're, you know, they're not doing anything, but their employees are doing all the work and they're just making money. Oh, right. It's there because they did something. Well, let's talk about there. this. Let's talk about hidden costs of things, right? You're yeah. doing a development right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. We go, you yeah. bought this piece of land, right? Yep. Bought this piece of land with the idea that I was going to build some affordable, not, not affordable by the definition of right. whatever that you can't possibly do. But affordable, like moderate or priced apartments is what I wanted to do. 32 of them. Right. Be able to provide 32 good entry-level apartments for people to live in. Right. And now it's going to be eight $500,000 townhomes. Eight $500,000 townhomes. Good job with affordable housing. Right. We just... Right, yeah. (laughs) We we wanted this plan, but, uh, you know... And, And I've seen that, and just so... I've seen that in, you can talk to a lot of developers. Again, everybody thinks every developer's after the money. Like there's projects that you can see where people are trying to do the right thing. Uh-huh. And, and they just can't. Well, well why? Right? So, so a, a bunch of reasons. So I'll use, I'll use my project that's early, very early in development. It hasn't even gone to the board of the uh, planning commission. So hopefully I'm not shooting myself in the foot with these conversations. Um, first you got zoning and you got density. So yeah. we all have heard on the, the news about the upzoning and stuff in Charlottesville. Right. The, uh, I'm going to take a step back, get on my soapbox a little bit. The biggest flaw that people have when they start talking about affordable housing it, it, is the biggest flaw in almost every conversation I have. You cannot make an expensive house affordable. Right. Right. You, like you, it's, it's not possible to do it. So anytime I see a program that's goal is to make an expensive house affordable, I hate it. It's a, it's, it's a waste. Of, it's a waste of taxpayer money. So examples of what I mean by that down payment assistant programs. I'm not saying that it's not helpful to the person buying. It's an awful way to try to do affordable housing because you make an expensive house affordable for the first buyer. And then when they sell it, it's an expensive house again. Right. Right. So it, so that money got thrown in there for basically the benefit of one person right. who, who cashed out, which that's why people buy houses. So they can cash out. Right. Um, so the only way to really make affordable housing is to be able to make small, cheap, smaller, cheaper, more dense housing. Right. Like that, like that it's, it's not rocket science. That's right. what we need to be able to do. So when you have somebody trying to do, a project like mine and the zoning for some reason that can't be explained with any common sense, the zoning just stops at my property line and my property is a lower, lower density than the property next. Right. With no actual like reasonable Mm -hmm. reason for that. So, you know, that all of a sudden took me down from being able to do 32 to like having to shrink way down. Right. And then other things that get put in that I, I like to say are rich people problems. Right. So my property is going to be on, um, in between two rows that are considered entrance corridors mm-hmm. that, you know, it has to be 
pretty. And according to the architectural review board, they're going to have requirements. Now, I haven't met with them, so I'm not going to throw them under the bus yet because I right. don't know exactly what those requirements are going to be. But there's going to be additional requirements because they want it to look nice because it's the entrance corridor into Charlottesville. Right. Well, everything that's nice costs money. Yep. So instead of having a, a nice basic backyard, right. I'm going to have to have something that makes it look like the front of the house on both sides. Right. Well, the front of the house is more expensive than the back of the house. Right. Right. That's yeah. where you put your stone and your finishes and all that kind of stuff. Um, another great example. So I'm, I'm looking at building eight units. So everything that I talk about has to be divided among eight. Right. Well, they're insisting that I build a playground. Okay. Well, I'm, so a commercial playground, $30,000. Right. Okay. $30,000 divided by eight units. I'm looking at like somewhere between seven, eight thousand dollars that's going to be spent. Well, the calculations, according to the, the count, is I'm going to have two kids live there, right? I right. mean, I'll, I'll affordable, uh, fair housing. Anybody right. can live there, right? But like their calculation when it comes to school and stuff is the projection is there'll be two kids, right? Well, every one of those houses has to be seven thousand dollars more expensive because of that be, for this. And then you look at it and you and if you go up and down my, the area where I'm building this, there's four or five different neighbors in there. All of them have the same little playground. Yeah. Good Lord. Just like build a, just build a park. Right. That's going to be better. Right. Right. Instead of us all having the same little playground that has the same three swings, one slide, right. monkey bars, I have a park that has, you know, maybe some basketball courts and some other like gathering places that mm-hmm. kids can go to. Um, you know, that like that's, that's something there. But now all of a sudden I'm going to have to have green space. That's community space. I'm going to have to have this playground. Well, that means I have to have an HOA. Right. Right. It'd be much easier to just divide this property up and just like, but now I have to have this HOA. HOA is going to have to cover, you know, the lawn care. I, I'm, I'm probably not going to be able to have a public, a public street. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have to pay to plow the street, do all this other stuff. Again, Dividing that by eight units. And, and a road, I don't know if anybody realizes how expensive a road is. Like a couple of years ago, I was looking at it. It was $200 a foot. Yeah. A, a linear foot, right? Yeah. And so how, you know, how, how long are these driveways? 800? Oh, yeah. Or 1,000 foot? Like, that's not a long road. 1,000 no. feet. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing is when, when you have people that are already living in houses mm-hmm. dictating what other houses should be, yeah. right? They ignore the fact that, you know, people have to pay for this thing. So like an HOA of a hundred dollars a month, I mean, I'm not a mortgage guy. So, but your calculation, that's probably the equivalent of spending an extra $20,000 on a house. Yeah. So that, that's not free. Yeah. But from like a lot of the, when I talk to a lot of the people in, in in government or have been, or just that are speaking out against things like when that playground is built, it, it impacts the price of the house. Right. And they don't really, it seems that seems to be lost on a lot of people. Well, here's what I think, Paul, I don't understand why they don't allow, um, trailer parks anymore. And, and, and this is, I've seen, I, and I, I do this. I, I look at all the counties because I buy land and I do all this stuff yep. in all these counties. They don't allow trailer parks anymore. Um, that's really where your 
affordable housing would come from. Now, you can cut it up and put one trailer on a three-acre parcel, but my grandmother, she lived in um, Pennsylvania um, a few years ago. She moved down here, but she lived in a nice park. Like, the grass was like, they had, it was like competition. If like one neighbor went out and cut the grass, like the whole neighborhood cut grass. There was like, it was a nice paved driveway, concrete, um, concrete, uh, driveways into their house, but a paved road that went around. I I grew up in Florida. Also, also lived in Alabama before I, I joined the military. There are some really nice places that are, that are trailers. And it's, and I, you know, I get it. Yeah. We find the, you know, there's the, there's yeah. the rundown trailer parks that aren't right. and that happens. But you know what though? As much as you hate those, as much as people will, those are affordable places for some people to live. Right. My, growing up, um, early in uh, my high school years, like my parents got divorced, my dad moved out, I moved out with them, and, and we moved into a trailer park. Right. Um, in that trailer park, first off, if you've never lived in a trailer park. It's an, it's an, it can be an amazing place. Like, there's a whole variety of, of we can talk about diversity and lifestyle and stuff. But you had everything from people who had lived there for decades right. to people who were in some kind of transition right. in life to people who were just moving out of their parents' house. And it, and it was a very affordable yeah. thing. Like, I mean, I could use, I could use my, my piece of property. Like, it would be beautiful if I could using the same density. Yeah. If I could put eight trailers on there, now the neighbors wouldn't be happy. Right. Right. Cause everybody wants to argue about a trailer park. I could put those on the, I could, I could probably build, put them on there for what? $60,000. Uh, yeah. And, and there could be affordable housing there, but yeah, I, I actually had that conversation with somebody that, um, works at, a was it Clayton Holmes mm-hmm. that's there on 29? Yeah. Cause I had a client that was looking for one. And he's like, if you can find me, he's like, I could fill it up. He's like, I could fill up a trailer park with people owning the trailer and putting, he's like, I, I could fill it up in three months. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I don't know why, but I, I have a, an inkling. Like, I, I just think people think there's a stigma to it, but you can. It, rich people trying to decide what affordable housing should be. Right. And, and affordable housing is not a $500,000 tiny home. No. It's not even a $300,000 townhome. I remember no. when, I, when I got out of high school, I was looking at houses. Like all I could afford uh, at that point was like $175,000 uh, yeah. was what I could afford. I can't even buy a house right now for that. No. Oh, my God, no. Well, and, and it's the same. Again, it's the same thing. Like I, you have people who are trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I was not trying to build, I mean, I wasn't trying to build slums, right? Like I wasn't trying to build, I was trying to build, and other people have done this. I was, I was trying to build good, safe, nice, yeah, moderately priced houses. Right. Um, And everybody, there's a, you know, you always hear the term missing middle, right? Like everybody focuses, all the county rules and city rules, so so it doesn't sound like I'm just blaming the county. They're all, they're all focused on like affordable housing, which is depending on what program you're doing, 80% of the median income, 40%. It depends on what program you're talking about. We also need to find houses for people who make like the median income. Right. And right now there's all this push about trying to make houses for lower income. Right. 
and everything market value is being pushed really expensive. Where is that person who wants to be able to, that can and wants to be able to buy a $250,000 house? Yeah. Um, a few, it's, it's been a few years ago now. Up in Rutgersville, Ryan Holmes built a neighborhood. Yeah. I think they were selling, when they opened up that, I think they were selling like six to eight houses a day. They sold out that entire neighborhood in a matter mm-hmm. of a few weeks because it was smaller houses. They limited the upgrades they could do, and, and they, were, they were affordable houses. Right. And people were just fighting over them. And you can't tell me Ryan Holmes thought that that was a bad business model. Right. I mean, they, most of these builders, if you could tell, if you could tell them, hey, you can, you can sell and build and be done with a 100-house neighborhood in a year. Right. They'll be like... And I'm gonna, my margin is going to be a little bit smaller, but I can do that. But and I have 300 buyers lined up. We're going to be done. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, that, and that's, that's where there's this like stigma to where, um, I said at the beginning, we'd, we'd try to avoid politics, right? But the, right. It, in politics, people like to have boogeymen. Right. And when it comes to a, like when a topic of affordable housing comes up, the boogeymen are the, greedy developers and the greedy builders and the greedy landlords and the and and most of the people that I talk to that are in that they're not right they're not those people like they're if you've ever met I'll, I'll if you ever met Frank Bailoff and that with Southern Development yeah the nicest freaking guy you could ever meet right like I don't get any kind of inkling from him now he's a businessman he's a fantastic businessman right that Southern Development is a fantastic company I don't ever get the inkling that he's just like at it for the money. Yeah. Right. He wants to build good homes and, and I, he, they just, he popped in my head because Southern development just did like a realtor update and was talking about like their neighborhoods coming in. One of the neighborhoods there, they were talking about, they've been working on that neighborhood for 14 years. Yeah. Yeah. Like how much money has already been spent? And it's an expensive game. Yeah. The, the dirt. The, the development in the dirt is really expensive. People don't understand. Well, they just move some dirt. No, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not only that, the engineering. It's, it's to, yeah, it's to get it. to, it's to get there. And, that, and that's the thing that people don't understand is like when they now sell those lots, either as them being the builder or they sell it to another builder, they have to absorb all that cost mm-hmm. from the last however many years. Yeah. And it's got to be added in there. Yeah. And pe- like people, I don't think see that it, you, you hear so many people talking about like, Oh, we don't want to have housing there because of the views or, Oh, it's going to be too dense. It's going to be all that. And it's all people who already own houses. Yeah. That are always the ones that, you know, the whole, not my backyard kind of NIMBY people. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, I, I wish I could, I wish, um, people would, bring those groups in mm-hmm. like um i was talking to one of the the board of supervisors like how how many times have you have you ever sat down and like talked to a developer right about the stroke and it's amazing how many times the answer is no and they just come up I, I feel like they just sit back there and go oh what else can we do to make this nice we want to make our county nicer 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 well, nicer, and, nicer and nice costs money yeah like yeah. you're like like why i mean some of this sounds Stupid, but it adds up. Like, why does my eight-unit thing, why does it need to have sidewalks on both sides of the street? 
Yeah. Right. I mean, like, it sounds stupid. Like, well, we, it's it's only eight townhomes. It's not a cross through road. Right. Like, why does it need side? Why does there need to be a tree in front of it? Like some of these things that people they don't think about, but they add. They just add that little bit more, mm-hmm. and you start tacking on these things that add a thousand dollars more to the house. Two thousand three. All of a sudden, the house is twenty thousand dollars more. Well, then you got to get into, and I know this kind of taken a turn and gone more into development oh, yeah. and costs and everything. Let's, let's go back to something else. Well, I, I mean, I, I wanted to say then, like, where do people get these jobs? And then, so like, I'm passionate about this kind of stuff too because I'm always asking these questions because business creates jobs. Jobs mm-hmm. creates, you know, us being able to go out and purchase these properties and, and do that. So, um, in today's economy, like. Uh, where are most of your buyers at right now? What 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 professions are they having, or that that you see? Cause so I I still obviously um, I I built my business a lot on originally on like relocation, right. military relocation, university relocation, stuff like that. So a lot of them coming in are obviously connected to the university. They're connected to the military. Um, it's a it's amazing to me how many people are now coming to Charlottesville because they can work virtually. Yeah. And they're working for a company in New York, DC, wherever. And, right. And they're settling in Charlottesville because, because of all the reasons we like Charlottesville. Um, so we get, a lot of, we get a lot of those. We also get a lot of where one spouse is doing that and then the other spouse is getting a, a job here locally. Right. Um, also, obviously, retirees. You know, we get okay. that. Um, is that mostly from like upstate, like New York, north, um, north, or where do they? Where I'm, are they like right from? now? I have a few different retiree buyers that I'm working with. A couple of them moved here from up north, from Florida, or um, yeah, we're coming down. I, I, you, I don't know when if you use this term when you were doing real estate. Have you ever heard of the term of a halfback? Mm-mm. So what is a really common thing that happens here? Is it, is it, <laughs> yeah, it's people from like New York, the, right. you know, the Northeast who move South, usually to Florida. Right. And then they realize it's too hot. It's too flat. It's too far away. Right. So they move halfway back and they settle in Charlottesville. Um, Asheville is another really popular one. So it's amazing how many times I am talking to somebody who's relocating and they're looking at here, Asheville, um, Raleigh, mm-hmm. you know, they're kind of that whole Virginia, right. North Carolina area to just be a driving distance back to their family in the Northeast. Right. Um, but not have the harsh winters. Yeah. So, so I work with a, a variety of people and I also luckily, a lot of my business is repeat okay. clients. So, you know, I, I have, you know, where I've helped somebody who's a nurse and then I've helped somebody else that's a nurse in the same office, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, but it, it's hard Talk, back to what you're originally talking about. Like it's hard to start a business here. Well, it's hard it, to start a business anyway. Well, yeah. But, um, why, why would you say it's hard to start a business here? Um, a big part of it is cost of labor. Yeah. Right. So I, for a, a, a few years, I owned a retail store. We were talking about that before yep. the show from the, and throw, I'll, I'll wait for people to throw barbs at me about the, when I bought the store, this was in 2000. Oh my gosh. When was it? 2018, mm-hmm. probably somewhere in that ballpark. Um, I was able like the starting person was making like 
this is this is a high school kid. This is a person who just like this is a like, career. Was this eight is... was eight fifty an hour, and then the people who were working there that really kind of could do their stuff was like ten fifty an hour. Right. Um, in two years, that went from the person knowing nothing. I I was having to pay you know ten fifty eleven just to get them to to come into this to come for an interview. Right. And I couldn't keep anybody longer without paying, you know, $15 an hour. Right. right? So that seems like small dollars, but when you're looking at an entire payroll going from like the average of being, you know, 10 bucks an hour to now the average is being like 13. Right. Your margins are small. Yeah. You know, and the other, I was was having this conversation with somebody the other day. A lot of people also don't understand how much it costs a business to hire somebody for name the number $15 an hour is a popular right uh, slogan that people use like it you you as a as a employee or let me take that so it's not the employee's fault from a business owner standpoint if the employee cannot return 45 to 50 dollars of additional revenue it's not worth having a position. Yeah. Right? Oh, 100%. You take your $15 an hour, you, you multiply that times, you know, you know, one and a half person, you know, one and a half times usually to take into account payroll taxes, workman's comp. Yeah, then you're doing training. And then as no matter the greatest employee in the entire world, even myself, even the greatest employee in the entire world, still there's a certain pain. Yeah. To have, you know, HR, if it's big enough, you have HR, you have all this. Well, then you have to make it worth going through all of that. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so then you stay, you go like, Oh, if it takes 45 to $50 an hour and you start talking about like a, a fast food restaurant, right? Like how many additional hamburgers does that person have to produce without raising the cost? And then what, how, yeah. how that's, that's why you see and, everything. Just it, and this is another example of like, that's not a greedy that's not a greedy business owner. That's not somebody who's trying to make thousands of dollars off the back of their employee. That's somebody who is just legitimately trying to justify hiring a position. Right. Right. You know, it, it and, and, but here, and here's the other thing I'll play, I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate on that because you're, you're saying, Hey, the employee is good. How many of them are out there at $15 an hour that are dedicated to that work? Like yeah. when I started, it was like, I think my first job was, uh, I think it was, Maybe six dollars twenty five cents an hour. Five dollars and twenty five cents an hour was my first my first job. So and now I think I was um I was the uh, I was a, I was at a golf golf shop not golf shop but I was uh, maintenance and that's what I that's what I did for my first job at fifteen and um but like how many are dedicated how many show up how many like I talk to business owners all the time and they're like I can't find good help I can't find good help I can't find good help and I don't know if you know this, this is why I started one of my companies is um and I was like all right all these people can't find good help. Um, I'm going to provide them good help in the virtual side of it, actually. So I, I have a virtual assistant company that helps individuals. I, I marry, basic marry, but um, I connect business owners mm-hmm. with virtual assistants and connect them, and they have online. And which, in- a, which a lot of realtors use, and other business owners I know use virtual assistants. They, they yeah. add, they're, they're, a, they're a force multiplier. Right. Um, that that's actually a really an interesting thing as 
you, I think people don't think about in the future as more people are like, oh, pushing to be able to work from home. You know, yeah. everybody's, oh, everybody should be able to work from home. If you can work from home and you don't ever have to go to the office, mm-hmm. that means that somebody else can do that job that isn't living in Charlottesville. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily living in America, which isn't, you know, so it's, so people don't realize that they're making themselves easier to outsource. Right. That, that could be a whole show yeah. on its own. Um, talking about like the, the dedication. I can remember having an employee one time called me on a, on a Friday night. Hey, I, I need to have tomorrow off. Right. I need to have tomorrow off. I'm like, well, okay. So the first step is, you know, try to trade with somebody else. Yeah. And they're like, I trade. Nobody wants to work tomorrow. Tomorrow being Saturday. Nobody wants to work tomorrow. I'm like, okay, well, like, I, like I, what, what's the problem? Well, you know, I'm, I'm in D.C. with some friends of mine. No, I, I don't want to come back. You know, so this isn't somebody dealing with like a sickness or a, or a right. Or a, this isn't something. I just don't want to show this up. This is like, I don't want to show up. And I said, well, I, I need you to be there. Like, there's nobody else replacing you. And they're like, okay, I quit. Yeah. So they just quit, right? This is, this is Friday night. They were working at another place. I saw them. They were working at another place on Monday. Yeah. You, and I don't, I don't think people need to have blind loyalty to them. But, is, but the market is, the, the labor market is so hard from a, you're, you as an employer, you, you have to kind of accept stuff that you probably normally wouldn't. Right. And, and I, I'm a, a believer in like, you know, employees need to be treated right. And I, but then people complain about like the service they get at places and, and they have employees that, that aren't there. I'll tell you, this is another one that I, I sometimes get some reactions to, but that's okay. And the truth hurts sometimes. We, when I owned my retail store, it was a, a franchise. Most of the stores throughout the country that I had friends with, their evening shift were high school students. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, I had a job after I graduated high school. Right. Like it was kind of almost like a rite of passage. Because of the way our school system is, high school doesn't get out until later, after everything else. So, like, when I went to high school, not this is the whole, when I was a, back in my day, right? right? But when I went to high school and a lot of other places, high school gets out at, like, 3 o'clock. Mm-hmm. It means you can be at a job at 4. Right. Well, here, it's really hard for a a high school student to make it to a job by five. Well, my store closed at eight. Yeah. It, I, I couldn't, I couldn't use high schoolers as a labor. And a lot of, if you go to a lot of places, you know, restaurants and retail stores and small businesses and stuff like most places you go to high school labor is a, a, a big factor in the workforce. Right. And it's, it's not here in Charlottesville. Yeah. Um, and this is again, where like rich people, and when I say rich, comfortable people, like the big kind of discussion is, well, you know, the psychological studies and all that high schoolers learn better later, you know, going to school later and stuff. And and I'm not discounting. There are people smarter than me when it comes to that subject, but what people don't understand is there are a lot of families that like, that's important to them. Like the, either either the the family legitimately needs that additional income, or the the kid themselves wants to buy money, buy a car, and and they're kind of robbed of that opportunity. That's 
that's a thing I think a lot of people don't notice that's a big impact on our labor pool here in Charlottesville. Sometimes, and this is my personal opinion, and this might piss some people off, but sometimes I think all these studies, like studies say this, studies say that. Well, if studies say, I don't know what, I, I know Al Marl and Charlottesville are not in the top 100 in the, in, they're not even, I don't think they're in the top 200 in, in high schools in the state. I know Western, I think they're in the top 15. Yeah. But those, those two, Almar and I, I think Charlottesville, are not in the top 200. Now, all these studies that say kids learn later on, like, what, then show it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Be a, well, and, and there's, and again, it's a, it's a situation to where it, I don't blame the people for trying to make the right decision to help kids in school. Like this isn't, but you have to sometimes realize that there's circumstances that aren't perfect for everybody else. Like when I, I've, I know somebody who works at a high school and they talked about a couple of their lower income kids end up skipping the last period or even two periods of high school because they have to get home because their little brother and sister get off the bus because elementary school gets off at, you know, two 30. Right. And there's the, the parents have to work. So these kids are getting off the bus. So like go back to back in my day, high school was the first ones that got to school. Like I got to school at seven 20 and they were the first ones that get out. Older siblings were home when their little brother and sister got off the bus. High schoolers were, like, all of this were, if you talk to parents, they're, they're fighting for, to find child care after elementary, you know, from elementary school. to it's Like, a lot of high school kids were that branch. Yeah. Either because they were a sibling or they babysat in the neighborhood. Yeah. And trying to do this, like, perfection, like, being able to do that stuff is great when you're in an income level that you're not reliant on, you know, the, the kid's not reliant on having a job. Like, yeah. I had to have a job when I was in high school, not to help pay, not for, to help pay my parents' electric bill. Right. But, like, if I wanted, you know, we were low enough income that, like, if, if I wanted a vehicle, I had to go, like, get a job and buy it. Right. If I wanted to go to the movies on Saturday... I had to use my money right. to do it. And people who are not in that situation discount all that. Yeah. It, there's a lot to be said. I, I, I homeschool um, that because I like to travel, because I like to have my own schedule, yeah. because I like to do what I want to do when I want to do it and how I want to do it. Um, when I see um, one, I don't... I don't I don't want to get too political, but I, I just don't feel sometimes that, and this isn't against the teachers, but the whole school system, I mean, what are, what are they teaching? We don't teach anything about money. We don't teach anything about taxes. We don't teach anything about real life stuff. Um, there, there's a lot of high schools that are starting to push in like courses to, right. to, to do but that. We don't. But yeah. But yeah, it's, we, we, it's not like it should be. And what I what I really dislike about the whole school system too is, you know, we pushed back in my day when I was in school. I graduated '03. They started making the transition right then as far as taking out the vocational vocational mm-hmm. stuff. 
and then pushing everybody to go to college, go to college, yep. go to college, go to college, get these loans. You can never default on them. You're going to be in debt for as long as you're you know, alive. You know, take out $70,000. We'll give it to you. I, you know, we only yeah. You're we, 18 years old and you can get $100,000 worth of loans. You're going to be a teacher yeah. with a $100,000 loan at $35,000 a year, and you're going to pay that back over the course of time. That's another story. But they started taking the vocational stuff out. Like... Mm-hmm. Kids nowadays, like, do I, I don't even think I'm going to send my kids to college. Now, if they want to be a specialty, but they're, then go to college. Like, that's where I'm kind of thinking. You can learn anything that you want out there um, without going to college. The vocational schools with masonry, carpentry, plumbing, like, those things I think need to be put more in schools and have a more influence and not be a, not be such looked down upon. Uh, careers because there's guys out there, there's girls, you know, there's girls out there. They're making a hundred, a plumber's making a hundred, can make a hundred thousand dollars a year. I, I'll, I'll give a, an example that it, it blew me away. One of the properties that I helped somebody buy had a, had a basement rental. And, you know, so I, I helped them find a renter. The girl that ended up being a renter, she was, she wasn't old enough to drink yet. She was either 19 or 20. She was moving here from Texas by herself because she had gotten a job making $50,000 a year as a welder. I saw the girl's TikTok. I know who you're talking about. She moved, she moved here, and I'm like, fifth, like I, I, it, it blew my mind yeah. to be 19, 20 years old, yeah. making 50 grand. Yeah. Like... No debt. Yeah. Right. No yeah. debt. I mean, I've got, so I have two daughters. Love them to death. They're, my oldest is, yeah, they're 12 and 10, right? So, I mean, this can change a thousand times between them. But like my youngest has said, well, what if I don't want to go to college? I'm like, you got to have a plan. Yeah. Like I, I have no interest in sending them to college for four years to like walk away with no, no plan. Right. I, there's too many, I worked at a university when I was in the air force. One of my assignments was, um, teaching ROTC. So I saw a lot of my cadets and other students. There were a lot that went to college because they, they were just putting off having to decide what they were going to do. Yeah. So they went to college because it was 13th grade. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, it's right. And it's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. But then I saw, students, a lot of them were my cadets that were, had a plan. We're coming. I'm here for four years. I'm getting commissioned. Boom. I'm going, or I'm, I'm doing this. And I, and you saw such a difference. Now, when I, you know, you asked way at the beginning of the show, you know, did I go straight into high school? I couldn't have gone to college at 18 years old. Yeah. Like I had an opportunity. I had a partial scholarship, but from a a mentality standpoint, like I, I just wasn't, I couldn't have done it. Yeah. Um, and I think too many people just put off making a decision. You know, you, the, you work a lot with the trades, obviously. I mean, the plumber I use is dying for people. Yeah. The HVAC guy that I use all the time, they're dying for people. Yeah. Elect, my electrician, last time I reached out to him, it was going to be like three months before he could get to my house. It's Because they're just so swamped. Yeah. Um, but I, I am happy that at least I feel like the, there used to be a stigma, right? Like you're not going to college. You're not, I, 
at least I think that stigma has really changed. Yeah, because I think everybody now sees, well, I'm in debt, and what did it do for me? Yeah. Like, wow, that was a good decision that I made because that's what, yeah. that's what they pushed. Everybody needs to go to college. Everybody needs to get a degree. Yeah. Well, when everybody has a degree and everybody goes to college, it's not really worth much. Well, and that's why, like, you were um, – when people are, like, applying for jobs and people get mad because it's like, why is this entry-level job asking for, you know – asking for a bachelor's degree yeah. and it's because for a stretch there it really kind of was a red flag if you didn't go to college because like everybody did so why yeah why didn't you yep yeah so paul so thanks for coming fly on, by bro. already may we done huh? yeah thanks for coming in <laughs> i told and, you we could fill up an hour yeah yeah i appreciate <laughs> it thanks for coming in chatting with you about this um guys how how how's anybody find you to work with you um you, you can Google Paul McCarter. That's the easiest way. I'll, I'll pop up. I'm with Avenue Realty. So um, phone number, 434-305-0361. Cool. Call or text kind of thing. But, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly easy to find. All right. Well, Paul, thank you. Guys, appreciate you sharing, uh, sharing this experience with you with Paul. Um, looking forward to next week. And from there, I hope you have a great week. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you.